live. So this is technically episode three. Uh, STEM in a nutshell. <laughs> so Tiffany, thank you for coming back and having an official episode about plant genetics and all the things that are green and variations of green that we need in life. <laughs> Food, more specifically. Food. But <laughs> yes, I. You know, it's kind of a big thing if you don't think about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just a little. Because food comes from more than just the grocery stores. <laughs> True. Yes, I can definitely verify that with what I attempt to grow for food in the summer. Sometimes it's successful, sometimes not. Although I was very you do proud. more than I do. Well, I if we didn't have that giant heat wave last summer that just scorched and killed everything, like it. My tomato plant was cool because it was one of those black tomatoes. So they were like that deep, dark purple, almost black, and they're really, really cool. But I got like four of them before summer just scorched everything. And my yeah. zucchini plants Heat were stress. actually growing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, 114 or whatever was not, it was not going to survive for days on end like that. Imagine what farmers have to deal with when it's their entire field i yeah the farmers got screwed here like all the mm -hmm. ones that are we have big farms up on the mountain um and they have a lot of the orchards and stuff like that and so all of it's a little cooler at least being high up on the mountain but their stuff all uh, like the fruit trees and everything it came months ahead of time so like our apples are yeah. supposed to be like around october and it was summertime and the apples were ready to go. Like it threw off everything. And then down here in the lower lands, the wheat farmers here, it was a loss. <laughs> so it was pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. wonder how and the, the volatility. <laughs> true, true. I mean, we just, yeah, the, the volatility of the climate is another reason why plant breeding is so important. Um, and yeah, I guess, do should I introduce myself or oh yeah so let me ask uh Tiffany you are a what's your technical title like a plant geneticist or oh I'm not that fancy well, well what you do I mean officially my yeah officially my, my job title I'm a biological science technician for the agricultural research service of the USDA um Slap I work okay <laughs> yeah, that's why the federal government, I mean, that's why there's so many acronyms. So my full location of work is USDA, ARS, SNF, and the SNF stands for uh, Soybean Nitrogen Fixation Research Unit. Soybean and Nitrogen Fixation Research Unit. <laughs> it's one of those <laughs> where like, I'm just so used to using like SNF uh, that I sometimes forget what it stands for but i know that soybean and nitrogen fixation are a part of it so awesome. um before that i yeah so i'm more or less sort of like the um feet on the ground my bosses tell me what i need to do i got my my highest level of schooling was a master's in plant breeding and genetics i don't really have a desire for a phd because I just don't want to deal with that aspect of it. I like totally being fair. the person in the lab. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like not having the pressure of like publishing on my back and yeah, just getting to do the actual you know, science. <laughs> yeah, fair. Yeah. Yeah. Totally fair. And you didn't start out like 
you started out doing like art or history or something, right? Yes. (laughs) I was um, undetermined, but I was like going for fine arts. And actually, to go back just a little step, I'm a high school dropout. (laughs) All right. Power. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I don't really have a conventional um, educational background. Uh, I never really was fond of high school. And it was more like the system and the structure just didn't suit me and I did whatever I could to convince my parents that I needed to drop out and get my GED and go to a community college because another thing I didn't want to deal with was taking the SAT Mm. and when you go to community college you don't need an SAT yep that's the way I went right (laughs) I mean I did knock out that shit at the community college too like I highly recommend people to just do the two-year prereq stuff and at like half the cost at community college yeah and to me the whole university system I don't know how it is in other countries but in this country in the United States um it's 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 just yeah I think I kind of feel like a bachelor's degree is sort of like the equivalent of a high school diploma um it's definitely how it's treated yeah yeah and I don't it's not I mean, it's just the education system itself right there. You're already like pushing back people who don't have the opportunities or the you know resources to yeah. go to a university. So again, community colleges are really important for that because that is another way to access the university system. But in going to community college, you may find that you don't actually need your bachelor's degree for certain yeah. things, especially if you want to do trades. And that's, yeah. Yeah, the community there college are, I went yeah. to was very, um, it was a, like technical community college. So, and they did a lot mm-hmm. of trade school there because we have two community colleges here. One is like the technical school like that. And then the other one is more of the artsy fartsy one. Oh. They're separated. <laughs> yeah, I went to Northern Virginia Community College. So I was, um, it was, yeah, I kind of bounced around between campuses, between Annandale and Alexandria. And, yeah. First Lady Jill Biden teaches at the um, Alexandria campus. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. She oh. still teaches. She taught while, yeah, she taught while she was um, second. Second lady? Is that what they call the vice president? Second. Anyway. Yeah. I, know. I, <laughs> I wasn't there when she was there, but <laughs> yeah, I did start out fine arts. No, you're fine. Um, and the the negotiation I worked out with my parents was your first year of community college because they do it semester by semester you do like what you would have done like your core academics your junior and senior year so your first and second semester are that so my third semester I did like a hundred percent like all art classes and it was fantastic I loved it but I just wasn't feeling like you know fulfilled I guess and I was really thinking hard about what I wanted to do with my life and after a little while I you know I was like you know I love art I love science why don't I do art restoration (laughs) and then so I was like taking chemistry heavy um my associate was basically going to be in chemistry and 
I took an elective, a science elective of geology, and I learned about soil formations and through like the honor section in my class and having to do extra research, I stumbled across an article about a master's student breeding a tomato plant that would attract its pest enemies more effectively. And I was hooked, <laughs> like absolutely hooked and cool. haven't looked back. Yeah. I was like, I want to do that. Like that tomato plant is going to feed people and what better way to actually feel, you know, fulfilled and like I'm doing something mm-hmm. that's helping people besides preserve art for however long. Um, right, right. <laughs> and praying I don't fuck it up in the process. I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> right uh so yeah i i got into plant breeding and yeah just haven't looked back it's been a lot of fun um challenging it's definitely a different world that i never would have thought i would have found myself in um so you know as a kid oh no go ahead go ahead plant breeding Mm -hmm. um i imagine this something to help people the difference between plant breeding and gmo plants like oh genetic engineering yeah yeah so So, a little different as a collective yeah so uh genetic modification as a whole really pertains to like everything thing plants genetically modify themselves by cross-pollinating you know on a regular basis um and some plants are more promiscuous than others which may lead to more modification yes so in plant breeding like we we have a very um some people might take offense to some of our like bad humor um but it's a uh, yeah we, we like human yeah anybody steps into science class and is jokes galore so yes oh yes um well because science is everyday life right yeah. i mean the fact that we're living carbon you know beings that's, mm-hmm. that's all science um but yeah so <laughs> we do say things like promiscuity um emasculation is a common term that's used um, what is it? Interbreeding and inbred lines. Like it's, yeah, it's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how would a plant With be? combination events. Oh, so before a plant or before a flower can like fully develop to the point where the pollen can, um, I guess, pollinate the female uh oh my gosh don't get me on botany because i'm bad at botany okay <laughs> so flower parts and stuff yes i can yeah so anyway i, I can't say so the female stem and leaf. Eh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like in my head like i know what i'm you know looking at yeah. but i sometimes can't put the words it's like uh There's reading so i and they are big, long, <laughs> words, too. Like, I've looked at, like, this yeah. thing, like, with bees and pollinators, and I was just like, how do people memorize this and pronounce it all perfectly? <laughs> that's it's because it's their focus. Wow. Yeah, if you study, yeah, when you study the very specific thing, you know, and it's, I, I kind of get frustrated when people expect scientists to know all science, because no. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. I can't even. I can talk to you. So, (laughs) being honest. 
I know like phalanges, right? Aren't your fingers your phalanges? It's a phalanges. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things like in bio 101. Yeah, I, I memorize like, I guess the major bones and stuff because I had to like fill out a sheet. But once I left that, gone. <laughs> like, right. I don't need to remember that anymore. Right. So, sure. And only things like phalanges, I remember because... Come on, phalanges. And I know, they're just great. Dancing phalanges. I don't know why that always pops in my head. <laughs> I had to have seen it somewhere. But yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, so emasculating. We emasculate flowers so that the pollen cannot um, pollinate or impregnate the ovary, the female. So, um, and okay. so the reason we do that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh depending on the flower which um all the plants i've worked with are self-pollinating which means they well they pollinate themselves yeah uh I've got they have like both that. like male yeah both male and female flowers and i forget the name of each whatever so we'll just stick with what i know <laughs> um so we do that so that they can't pollinate because we want to prevent, well, yeah, we want to prevent self-pollination. And that way we can go to another plant. So like a, a soybean or a wheat or, you know, so let's say we're doing this with um, soybean, which is the plant I'm currently working with now. Uh, so we do that. We go another soybean line that has a trait or, um, you know, another, another trait of interest that the one that I emasculated doesn't have and use that pollen to pollinate the female. And hopefully we have our F1, which is the first generation of the cross, which okay. also would be the hybrid. <laughs> um, and then we'll take that and grow it and see whether or not it has the traits of interest. And sometimes it takes multiple crossing and yeah. And that's sort of a traditional, you know, if you look at your Gregor Mendel uh, study that he did, it's a very traditional way that they've been doing for thousands of years to breed plants. Actually, maybe not thousands of years. Peas. Peas. Yeah, he did peas and pea flower. Mm -hmm. Flower color. Yeah. So it's like something we kind of played with doing in third grade with did we use peas or beans? Did, did you use peas? Did you guys yeah. cross pollinate? Yeah, we had to do something in third grade and grow them under, Ooh. like, use a little thing and pollinate over here and a little over there. And then we also did ones under different, like, water and light conditions to see how they would all grow differently. Oh, uh, that's a pretty cool school. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't do that. I had um, mealworms. That's what I did in third grade. Wow. And we, we did not. In sixth Ooh. grade, we got to do. I'm not really controlled fan of rats. And then um, what would happen if we gave them like sugar water or different types of food and see how they. Behave? Yeah, behave differently. And then we got to keep the rats after if we wanted to. So I kept a white rat. It was my first. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I got, yeah, I got a furry did not. Oh, <laughs> a little fur baby, a little rat baby. Oh, I'm not a big pets. fan of rodents. Weird, they do but... seem like 
they're really I had a friend pets. who's had a pet rat so yeah I, don't, I just don't really care for rodents no, outside fair. they're fine <laughs> yeah it, yeah when it comes to wild ones I need them to stay outside like and not inside like the mouse problem I don't want my cats to kill them it's just gross dealing with a well and they have um <laughs> What is that disease with the um, the feces? Oh, uh, I forget. It's a fungus, though, right? Yeah, I can't remember what it is, but yeah, that's Rabbits something to like have it. not have in your life. Not chance mm -hmm. the mouse problem that I had here for a while, and I was constantly like, oh. up their stuff. It's just ah, it's like you're cute and furry, but I need you to like exit the premises right now. <laughs> oh, here we have roaches. Ew, I've never That's a southern. One. What? I've never seen one. I don't know. I can show you one, but we, I won't do that right now. Anyway, right? Because they would survive <laughs> nuclear holocaust. That's the thing. Not necessarily. I mean, I guess they could, and it depends on the type of roach, but like the American roach, I believe, is in the south. So I, um, when I was ripping open a wall in my new house, um, I found a, a roach nest. Thankfully, I only had two adult roaches, but a lot, a lot of feces. So I deal with roach feces on a much more regular basis than I ever would mouse feces. Gross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and roaches to me smell like kitty litter, like old roach. Old roach smell is kitty litter smell, but like fresh, fresher roach smell is like, uh, like a dirty litter box. It's like weird. And yeah. Mm -hmm. oh. And I'm very allergic to them. So. Oh, no way. I didn't know you could be allergic to them. That's why. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep, you can be allergic. Goodness. Yes. So wait, you have I'm allergic to everything, though. Too? Like with the plants and stuff? Um, well, they're just, like I said, they're everywhere. We have, um, there are dead roaches in the, on the fourth floor. Uh, of of this building that I'm working in right now. It's an old building. There were more roaches at the old building I worked at because they had greenhouses attached to it. And greenhouses are the perfect environment for cockroaches. Oh, so they like- Absolutely perfect. The greenery is like the smell and mulch and stuff like that. Damn, moist. Yeah. yeah. So the sewers is a place where they'll hang out in a lot. And food like they will eat things like cardboard cellulose i mean just yeah huh. maybe because and i'm really sure that the, here, they're not so prevalent it's cold too cold there yeah it's also super cold like i hate yeah. cold but we have to have these like the cold snaps we had this last week um we had like it was in the 40 high 40s and then we had a massive mm -hmm. cold front come in we had like single digits again which I hate, but we have to have that in order to freeze off tick population and other bugs. Otherwise, if it's too warm through winter, the tick population just skyrockets and becomes a major issue. Which Yeah, unfortunately, ticks are always... And mosquitoes. Yeah. Whenever it's warm, if it warms up even for like a day or two, we have mosquitoes. Yeah. I mean, it's just the south. I mean... I didn't notice we that, didn't have that freezing. last year. Weirdly. Oh, really? Usually I always get, like, they love me and I always get. Bit. Isn't up north, like, you guys have an abundance of things like mosquitoes and ticks? Everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just have everything. It's. Just mm. 
but I didn't notice them as much last year. And I don't know if it's because we had that whole, the really bad summer last year. So that might have <sighs> had it. It just wasn't as humid for them. We didn't have rain. Was it dry? Yeah. It, yeah, when it's months, dry. Months without a single drop of rain. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they like the puddles too. So that probably had something to do with it. Like, I don't mind not having mosquitoes. I hate them. They love me and I hate mm-hmm. them. <laughs> and I get like the oh, really, same. really big bad welts from them. Mm-hmm. It's just miserable. For me, it just depends. But yeah. Oh. The warmer it is too. Good. Mild climate rant. The warmer it is, the further the disease with them is going to carry too. Like West Nile isn't much of a thing here, but as the summers continue to be warmer, longer, and everything, it, it has been traveling this way. And same with yeah. um, uh, Lyme disease, because that was something on the East Coast area, Northeast. My whole life, I've yeah been, been getting closer and yeah. closer to here. It's still not a problem that we have, but it's you can see like over time the tracking of it just gets further and further spread across. So, mm-hmm. yay! Yes, heat. Yeah, and you tell people not to feed the deer in the neighborhood, but they still feed the deer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's plants. Feed them in the neighborhoods. Like my grandparents had a cabin in the mountains and they would put out you know they had feeders for birds and everything but it was so remote up there like the deer were not human use at all like they're like oh an apple but as soon as you like peek your head out the window they were gone so they weren't oh habitualized as i'm not like that (laughs) oh yeah deer is still super skittish here unless you go there's a lake a willow lake and the deer will just come right up to you they got no problem like, no, I had this like, five point buck come right up to me, and I was just like, because oh. I was a little kid, and I was just like, oh god, <laughs> they're very big, <laughs> they're scary. Yeah, I don't want to be close to them because they have ticks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, deer ticks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a breed. Gross, gross. So anyway, I, I've definitely picked a few ticks off my body. But <laughs> I only ever had one when I was a little kid. But oh. a couple of years ago, I had to pick one off my dog. I was like going on my way to school and I was like, goodbye. And I felt this little lump and I was like, oh no, what is that? And I parted the fur and there's this tick on him. And I was like, I'm going to miss the bus. I'm like trying to pull this tick off. Yeah. There are, yeah. They really freak me out because they have this like blood radar. <laughs> And like there was, uh, I worked in a lab with a woman who like didn't want to kill anything. So there was like a weevil infestation. I don't know if you know what weevils are, these little bugs that eat grain. And so that's where we had all of our wheat seeds stored for processing various things for the lab. And she wouldn't kill them. And we had a weevil infestation eating all of our samples. Like, what's wrong with you, lady? Oh, my God. One one day she came in or she was there. I came in and I turned around and there's this like bug like running towards me and I'm like what is that like I swore like I thought it was a tick but it was bit and I, oh. I, I yelled and she goes oh what's a tick I threw him in the trash can and I'm like but you didn't kill it you just threw it in the trash can like these things have blood radar like it's scenting me it's and right me. Oh, yeah like what is wrong with you gross 
my put it down a sink with a disposal and yeah, seriously a couple years ago set it on fire drown it in formaldehyde yeah, exactly. yeah my boyfriend was like he called me also at school and he's like i think i have a tick i was like okay did you remove it he's like well it's in the shower I'm like, okay <laughs> i get home and it's chilling on the side of the shower <laughs> still i was like why did you kill it? So why would you look at it? It's a tick. Flush it. <laughs> Just oh my <remove> gosh. <laughs> but like they're tricky too because you you have to pull them off in a very specific way so the head isn't still lodged in your skin when you pull it off. Mm-hmm. Nasty little buggers. Yeah, I've been lucky. The ones that I've had to pull off like weren't on me for very long. They probably just oh, yeah, or they were still crawling around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, when I work in the in the fields, there is this one location I worked at a research station in Virginia, and one of the girls that I worked with, we this was like during wheat harvest, and we were waiting for the combine to make its round back to us so that we could take the samples and load them onto a truck. <laughs> and we're sitting there, and she's like picking at something, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" And I look down, and she has a tick that she's picking the legs off of like just all casually you know like you pick blades of grass or something and i'm like what are you doing like just kill it oh my god <laughs> and she's like well now it can't walk anywhere and i was like okay well just that's one way to do it of like, yeah just pulling it but it could still bite yeah. <laughs> like, just get rid of it that's gnarly, that's gnarly. So, you know you've been around a lot of ticks when you're just like casually plucking off their legs <laughs> yeah that's that's gross and not no that, that gross, yeah, nasty so, yeah with i guess um, back on to it yeah with um, i know well we still had plants in there that's totally fine i mean you yeah you have yeah plants and you have to deal with pests so yes insects are always uh-huh, something yeah. back about that tomato like how mm-hmm. how would you go about trying to design a plant that can either attract or repel a bug of some sort or be resistant to it? Like so is it, it like a pheromone thing? Plants, it's um it's an aromatic thing. You know when you mess with a tomato, it has that scent, right? Yeah. And I kind of forget what the scents are called, like terpenes, like something. Anyway, um, so they release the scent and the way they figure out, like, they'll either through observation or through study, they'll have multiple, you know, lines, breeds, varieties of tomatoes. And they can specifically study, you know, in a controlled environment. Or I guess they could probably quantitate it through, um, gosh, measuring sense. Chromatography of some sort? I'm trying to like, (laughs) I'm not really sure how they would do it for tomato, but the gist is you would chromatography. It's like another way to take measurements of like gases or liquids, um, spectroscopy, Mm -hmm. chromatography, um yeah okay. you can measure and you can actually identify the gas yeah chromatography does gas so you could oils anyway okay. by <laughs> you have certain indicators and whatever compound it is will give off like a specific 
um, mark for that compound. And yeah, a researcher who knows what they're looking for will say, oh yeah. Oh. And they can measure the concentration of that compound um, in that sample. So that would be another way that they could find, you know, or identify which tomatoes have what. Um, or it could just be like an observational thing, put the plants in a controlled environment, put out, you know, the pest, mm -hmm. and then um, put in an equal amount or whatever of the pest's enemy. So like parasitic wasps. Um, and we say like a pest enemy. So like when you talk about beneficial insects, really is and when you talk about plants those are your beneficial insects and some of them like parasitic wasps or ladybugs or when the plant is under stress the plant gives off this scent and that scent alerts plants like nearby tomato plants as well as like other insects sort of this like symbiotic relationship i'm not sure if that's the right word but that scent alerts the other plants to give off that scent as well which draws in those beneficial insects they're like oh there's food there <laughs> cool? so they go follow the scent like to find the food mm -hmm. plants talk to each other in a sense yeah mm -hmm. and people don't really think about plants as doing something like that like i've seen or read about trees doing it but i guess i never really mm -hmm. thought about that's really and uh, I think it's fun, fun, fungi, fungi, fun, whatever, however, okay. they do it too. <laughs> yeah. Like the mycelium is a very complex, you know, network. I'm not really versed in that area, but the documentaries I saw were very interesting. I know there's that really popular <laughs> fungi one on Netflix, but I haven't watched it. But I've also seen like people were not also happy with it like mm. experts in the field like they made it to uh what's the word where like what discovery channel does with shark week and they're like ooh, bad but these people made mushrooms like ooh, look at these amazing things they do all this other stuff that they actually probably don't do but it was more of a oh. causation correlation thing yeah yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I saw it. not peer reviewed or. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Like that type of. Thing. Actually proven. Yes. Yeah. Like there was a lot of that in it, so I haven't watched it just because I saw in like this ecology group that these other fungi experts were not overly thrilled with it. It's like, oh. That happens. Like when you, <laughs> like trying to get science to be fun and out there. I think we just have the wrong people trying and to make totally science totally fun. Is. Because yeah, you get these PhDs, and like there's nothing wrong with having a PhD, but some PhDs are just really dry, and they're so like have been so yeah. into it that yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I'm not really the best communicator. I mean. I didn't do any like studying for this at all. Just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's partially why I want to do this is to be able, because I know there is like that fundamental lack of being able to explain all the things. Cause you get so 
so involved in your studies and then everything that you know about it comes second nature to you but you talking to somebody mm -hmm. about it they're going you're saying a lot of words but what do the words mean and you know right a thing that... or in plant breeding <laughs> like during my uh my master's project i had these um what i call what you call a mapping population and so i had these parents right and I get so excited about my project that I'm talking to these like people about my parents, my parents, this, my parents, that, and they think I'm talking about my actual parents. And I'm like, oh no, like <laughs> I'm talking about this mapping population and the parents, you know, one is like this and <laughs> like parent plants. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. And there's another term mapping population where I'm like, yeah, everybody knows what a mapping population is. For me, mapping population, you have your parent plants and it's offshoots of the diversity that comes from them. I feel like I've had someone explain this to me before. <laughs> so a mapping population, different. yeah, and a mapping population is used for multiple things. And I don't, I don't really know if mapping populations are as popular anymore because they can do things like um, genome-wide association studies where they have all these different lines and they can run thousands of markers and analyze those. And markers are just these little um, like DNA snip that's like for this trait or that trait and when it right. goes into this you know assay it sort of lights up whether or not it has it um okay. that's one way to identify traits uh rather than having to go through <laughs> phenotyping phenotyping is like visually assessing observing traits but yeah the mapping population that i had i had a, one parent that was known to have this resistance to powdery mildew. I had another parent that was known to not have resistance to powdery mildew. So one parent that would be covered in powdery mildew and one that wasn't under, you know, um, field conditions. Mm -hmm. And so that, um, those parents were crossed and the mapping population is what came out of that. So you see how the Result of that, it helps. The plants will take one side or the other, be resistant or not. So what it helped with is that I had all these offspring from these parents, right? And so all these offspring I put out in the field, and then I would go out there um, on a regular basis and rate the plants for disease pressure. And I would take that data back with me, plug it in, and then in the lab, I would take the DNA from those and I would run molecular markers and, you know, look for AB, AB, AB types, heterozygotes, like whatever. Right. And I would take that data and add the field data to it to see which markers were associated with resistance. Oh, cool. And from, yeah. So that's like, in a nutshell, although that's not, I guess it's still kind of hard to understand, but <laughs> those markers would associate to a gene and yeah. then going with that field data, that observational data, um, to put that together and say, you know, oh, look at this, this marker is highly associated with resistance. Yeah, and right, right. And it helps you, um, 
to determine which genes or alleles or sections of the DNA are associated with that resistance. When you identify those, then you try to get as close to the actual gene as possible. Um, and you develop a marker for that, that you can implement in other lines because the, usually your population will also have um, some elite or what we call like, they call them elite varieties or things that are, you know, plants that are grown widely by farmers. Um, and so they're easy to deploy, like your results are easy to deploy in research. So from that, I was able to identify a handful of markers that were associated with disease resistance and run that on um, the entire breeding population in this program that I was working in. And that's how we were able to identify like, oh, well, this plant has it, this one doesn't, this has it, this one doesn't. And it was just helped us gain a better idea of the genetic makeup overall, but also to have specific resistance against powdery mildew. So I have a side question about, so how do you try to grow plants to have specific markers um, or farmers or mass producing a plant, it's important to introduce genetic diversity back into it, right? So like we don't end up with a banana that has no diversity. So if it gets one pest, it just wipes out bananas. Yeah, yeah. So um, wheat is generally, I think it's pretty pretty diverse and it's pretty easy to breed. Wheat is a bit more of a, what we call promiscuous. Okay. <laughs> Grasses tend to be more promiscuous with cross pollinating. Um, soybean. So I think, yes, there is, when you get into breeding, there is some narrowing of genetic diversity because you're identifying, oh, this line has the best yield. This line has great disease resistance. This line has this, and you try to put it together. And eventually you do kind of narrow down your resistance. Soybean is well known to have a genetic bottleneck. And that's because, you know, varieties came here from China, I don't know, X hundreds of years ago. And you can trace the majority of soybean lineage in the United States back to, I think, four or six varieties. It's really, really narrow. Wow. It's really okay. narrow. And uh, the group I work with um, here now, they work, genetic diversity is a very important aspect to what they do. So they'll, they take, they make really complicated crosses with, um, so glycine max is soybean that is grown for um, consumption of sorts. Uh, glycine soja, or is it, is it soja? Anyway, so there's max and soja. Okay. <laughs> I hope I'm getting this <laughs> That's okay. So the wild type. This one and soybean that one. Yeah. So the wild type soybean, which I believe is just soja, um, that has a is a very different looking soybean to what we see or what you might see in a farm if you Google soybean. Uh, soja is very um, acts very much like other legumes and that it has a like creeping sort of climbing habit, where um, cultivated soybean doesn't it's just a plant that stands up straight doesn't fall down branches and like it stays to itself grow in our garden right yeah soybeans will do mm -hmm. 
the wild soybeans will do that. And soybeans that are grown in a greenhouse or a growth chamber will also act very, they act different. So they do these, what we call wide crosses by cross pollinating, you know, a wild soybean type to, you know, like an elite variety or a variety that's um, a cultivar that farmers grow already. So when we say elite, that's, and then from there, starts the hard process (laughs) so when they do those wide crosses it's not really like yes you can induce introduce some genetic markers like running the dna to look for specific traits but because of that wide cross and the the varying differences in how they grow you know on the ground versus standing up straight the first couple of years you're just going to plant all that seed to see which types are standing up straight. <laughs> oh, okay. And that's, yeah, that's how that process will begin. And then from there, you'll select that plant. So you'll be looking, you know, out of all these plants, you're selecting for an individual plant. Um, and that plant, you'll go, you'll harvest it, grow it again. And you'll keep, because each time it's um, self-pollinating. Uh-huh. And when you pick that plant, you know, the hope is that the next generation, you're going to see, you know, each seed is different. You're going to see difference, differences, but you're going to keep picking the best one. And that is very much how like the original plant breeding uh, genetic modification took place Mm -hmm. in the Fertile Crescent. You know, they found this wheat head that had the best, fattest seed and they selected that one to be the one that they grew out for the next season. Mm -hmm. And that's, they kept picking the best plants that had the traits that they liked and sort of the same thing. We still do that today. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. I think like you mentioned before, how genetically modifying is like a huge umbrella of Mm -hmm. whether it's like select selective breeding like that. I think, I think the general populace probably thinks genetically modifying is um, inserting and changing genetics as uh, someone... Genetic engineering. Yeah, they're, they were upset about... What, what were they talking about? It was genetically modified apples, and they didn't want some genetically modified apple that would have some sort of fish gene in it. And it had to be like, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. And that's a very weird thing to say. <laughs> Why would... Yeah. You wouldn't... You're not modifying anything to have some... Like, you can't have cross-species modifications. Like that. No. Like, no. you're not going to have a soybean wanting some property of a wheat. It doesn't work in that sense. no no not in that way but we can search like you can do like high-tech stuff like searching since we have like um databases where we know the genomes of wheat and soybean and stuff and you can look across the various species for a specific trait and you can see if that trait has been like mapped and sequenced and you can look for similarities in the sequence and compare it to other mm-hmm. species or other plants. And that's something that's been done 
yeah, for a while now. I mean, sort of like, I guess what you say, like a cross-reference, the C. Yeah. Yeah. Because those genes, those those letters or proteins, they encode for something very specific. Mm-hmm. And um, just like humans have, you know, genes that encode for things very specific. Not all of us have the same, but some of us do. You know, right. it's like a gene for breast cancer. Right. Yeah. So, but no, you can't just like... <laughs> I know. <It's> just- <laughs> cross a, a wheat in a soybean plant or um you can't take a fish egg and insert pollen grains yeah, <laughs> into it, it. That's, yeah that's, absolutely yeah. no no within species of course but not like my favorite apple in the world is a cross species plant up here that they made is the best freaking apple i've ever had in my life I love it. It took a like, I'm not really an Apple years. fan, but I I was when I was a kid and then I didn't really eat them forever and I recently have a newfound love for them. Like I there's something about this this cosmic crisp apple that they made. Cosmic um, crisp? Yeah. So cosmic sounds, crisp. It's made in Washington. It's a good name. Was it from <laughs> UW or WSU? I can't remember. I think it was with one of the colleges. Um but it took them like 20 something years to get this apple crossbreed to grow right and how they want it. And it's only in the last couple of years that they started um, distribution of it. So it's probably something that it's in stores right now. So it's probably something that eventually as it gets bigger and more farmers are farming it, you know, or yeah. And that's another reason why I like row crops because <laughs> I think you can you can release a variety in as soon as five years in row crops, but apples you have to grow a freaking tree. Like yeah. <laughs> and you have to wait for the tree to grow and then you have to wait for the tree to mature enough to actually to produce. Yeah. Yeah. Because if it, it's like a first production of it, it might not be all that great and you wait for it to mature to the right age to produce fruit that you actually want to eat. Yeah. Right. And that's that's where in, in plants like that, genetic engineering comes in handy because you sort of bypass the you can, it's easier to get past those like early stages. But yeah, I know that research took a little while. And my assumption is that, you know, breeding trees <laughs> takes longer because I mean you can't grow, yeah, you can't grow two crops per season. Like no. And you need more mm-hmm. space because you can't grow them as close as you would with you know, soybeans or wheat or anything. They have to have a mm-hmm. diameter around them. Yeah. Right. It's definitely a thing. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah. Things. If you ever get a chance, I still say if you don't like apples, you should just try it once. <laughs> they are. I'll look, I'll look for them. I'll look for them. Next time I'm in a grocery store, I'll look for cosmic. And they're amazing. I don't know what it is about these apples, but they last so long in the fridge too. Like, I know you're not supposed to put stuff in the fridge, but they last way longer than any other apple that I've ever bought. I love them. Is that the one that you can cut and it doesn't brown, like it doesn't yeah. oxidize? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So then places like McDonald's don't have to put it in that like preservative juice when they Yeah. I don't those things are weird. I've had them before and they're just like weird little slimy things and like blah. Yeah, I, no, they just Sorry. look gross. Yeah, and then it's in more plastic. So yeah, try to avoid packaging as much as possible. Yeah, 
Yes. Yeah. Let's definitely yeah. up here this year. Washington started. Um, there's uh, no more plastic bags and stuff. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So, It'll yeah. take a while for that to happen here. but Yeah. Well, it started at the city here that has been doing it for years. And they just expanded it to the whole state. Which is fine. I mean, it makes me use all my reusable bags that I had anyways. Now I actually have to. <laughs> yeah. I've been doing pickup orders at the store and... One reason I, I want to stop is because of all the plastic bags. I mean, I do reuse them as trash bags. And I mean, I continue to use them as bags sometimes in the mornings. Yeah. If I'm just like not organized, I'll throw all my stuff in a in a Target bag. And then that's like my bag that I'm taking to work with me. So are those bags that they have there? Because when they switched here, all the bags suddenly are like this really heavy duty plastic in there so that they're yeah, meant to be used for like 200 times or something like that. Like they're really, I don't know about that, bags. but I know that they, they do feel heavier sometimes. Not always. I don't always get the same bags, okay. but I just know yeah. like on the bottom, like of the bags, it'll say reuse this bag X amount of times. It just kind of depends on the store. Now, yeah. They yeah. Give you that bag when you order, um, pick up groceries or if you forget to bring your bags to the store they just have these ones now but you also have to pay eight cents for bags at your target mm-hmm. everywhere maybe it's the same i'll have to, you know do i ha- i might have one of those bags with me <laughs> i'm literally like a bag lady i was just gonna say bag i do <laughs> i do have a target bag i do now, what does it say on it? It just says warning. Oh. Avoid danger of suffocation. <laughs> um, Might not be. Oh. This bag is 40% recycled content. Please return this bag for recycling. Oh. Recycle is clean and dry. So I guess our um, North Carolina Target don't have your fancy bag yeah. it sounds like way crinklier than a normal bag it looks heftier but it might and my kittens love these I try not to let them get them because then they'll destroy them because they're kittens and it's like mm-hmm. their ultimate goal right now in life is just to destroy everything yeah as they do <laughs> they took my collection of tissue paper and shredded it naughty now yeah. Let's get them a cardboard box. They'll well, be happy, right? They have three. Oh, well. Maybe they need four. No. Okay. No. I tried, I tried cats. <laughs> so tell me. Breeding. Wrap it up. Sorry. A little bit. What's oh, gosh. a specific project that you're working on right now? Like you said before, I, before we went live, you switched groups was it i switched yeah yeah so within my research unit we have four labs and um or groups and each principal investigator pi uh they have a specific focus uh before i switched i was um in a breeding lab where we were breeding soybeans specifically for seed 
content are so protein, oil, and the components that go with that. Uh, so the the with soybean, there's a an inverse relationship with yield and protein content, oh. and yeah. So I mean, with yeah, a lot of times when you breed plants, like tomato is a perfect example that was bred over the years for sustained shelf life. Well when they did that they had an inverse relationship with taste and so when you're breeding and you're looking at you know oftentimes you end up there's like a trade-off um and so with soybean that's been the trade-off protein content up yield goes down yield up protein content goes down and in a way that does make a lot of sense because it takes the plant you know it needs more resources to to, to produce more protein mm -hmm. content in their seed. Does that make sense? Yeah. I kind of like to think of it as like um, concentrated urine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it's because like, so the, the more, like, so the more resources you have, right? The yeah. more you drink, uh, your urine becomes lighter in color and less concentrated. Sure. Yeah. So the, the, the less resources that a soybean plant has, it's not going to produce as much yield. So we've also seen some, some studies where when a plant um, or a high protein plant is under drought stress, it'll produce smaller seeds, but that seed will be, so the yield will go down because of that small seed size, but the protein content will stay high. So it just, I mean, it's, it's sort of a, yeah, it's, you know, what do you do? So the, one of the goals is to be, to be able to break that barrier. And by doing that, you do have to introduce new genetics oftentimes. <laughs> and because that helps to sort of introduce possible like um, genetics to break that relationship. Okay. So try to breed out yeah. some, you don't have to have a high yield that trade -off. low protein and try to equalize it more high yield high protein yeah. and high cool. and then we also look at specific oil contents too and i haven't reviewed any of that in a while so i can't tell you specifically oil which, which uh-huh did i say oh i i pronounce oil weird don't i i'm sorry no uh <laughs> no i'm just thinking like what's the purpose of oil content so uh, soybean oil is used um, in a lot of things. And so that's where seed composition for soybean is also important. So a lot of the protein, you know, we look for feeding livestock and there are other uses for it. Um, but the soybean, the soybean oils we use in food. And then the type of oil also helps to determine shelf life. Oh. And that's where we have, yeah, that's where our like, chromatography comes into play because then we can analyze which oil how much oil is present in that oh, line okay. cool i guess mm -hmm. I, I should probably pay attention to food packaging if it says soybean oil. soybean oil is in everything it's in everything <laughs> soybeans are in everything yeah. uh, so which isn't necessarily a bad thing so the the oil itself is not a like the oil doesn't contain 
genes. It's like um, carbon and what else? It's not like plant. Yeah, it's, it's a carbon product. So there's no, yeah, it's literally like carbon. What else is it? Oxygen, the double double bonds and single bonds. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that part in chemistry? <laughs> well, I remember bonds and types of bonds. <laughs> but... So with the oils, I think they draw like the... Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, there's like oleic. So oleic, they call them acids, oleic acid, um, steric. What's the other one? I should know all this. <laughs> linolenic, linoleic, linolenic. Um, and so depending on how much of one, like I'm forgetting which one has a low shelf life and it goes rancid really quickly. So we also want to have our seed composition. When you, when you breed a plant for that seed composition, you don't want it to have, you want to have as little of that specific oil as possible. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because the end product, you know, the value mm-hmm. will decrease if it has too much of that shelf unstable oil. Yeah, for sure. Wow, that kind of makes food really so complicated to think about. It's all very, it is, it is very, and there are, going on. <laughs> yes, okay. yes, it is very complicated. So usually a grower um, will be growing a specific type of that crop. Um, and the field itself generally, at least I know here on the East coast, like they're not just growing one variety. They typically have a mix of varieties because of pest and disease pressure and abiotic stress. So they don't want to have, you know, um, what is it called again? A mono, I should know this, but yes, they don't want a monoculture. It's against like, it's not helpful for their bottom line. And it's not going to help them make money if this one, you know, they get this heavy disease pressure or insect pressure one year and it wipes Mm -hmm. out their plants. So they want to have as diverse a field. Yeah. Banana is a weird thing. When you get into those trees, trees are just a whole other thing. Like it's, they're much more complicated. Yeah, I just know there's this thing people, like, obviously, I'm not a plant biologist or anything of like that, but just reading some things that it pops up once in a while about bananas being a monoculture and the problem with that. But yeah, I, I mean, types of bananas, but I guess not. Like, there are. I don't. Or there just are. About, like, just and the I yellow think bananas is the problem. Cavendish or something. It's grown widely, I think, because of its type. It doesn't have seeds. It's a clone. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, when you have, let's think of what other things are clones, right? What other things are clones? When you take a cutting from your plant and you oh. propagate it, that's a clone, isn't it? Anyway. Well, it's still from the same plant. You're just growing a new plant from the exact same plant. So it still has the same characteristics of the plant that you took it from. Yeah. Right? It's an offshoot of the exact plant. Yeah. I'm not really sure because I'm not like a tree person. But trees, I think, are often grafted. And they, yeah. And when I think of cloning in labs, I think of, you can grow. I I have grown a potato in a petri dish in a lab at university 
I have done that. I mean, if you leave a potato <laughs> and that is one way you... enough, it'll start putting out shoots and you get more. And potatoes are clones. Yeah, that's another cloned crop. And the Irish potato famine is a perfect example oh. of what can go wrong when you have a monoculture. Corn, I think there was a corn, yeah. There was a corn problem back, I think, in the 70s. Rust. Yeah, right now, corn, I don't think we'll ever have a problem with that again. Mainly the corn. that, And yeah, they're hybrids that are grown these days. So it's, yeah. They have all, yeah. We don't, corn, we should. Ah, the land, I think they call them land races or heirloom types. Sorry, I gotta like Uh find my charger. Um, And those, I don't really know so much about those, but. I I know I've never seen one other than pictures and I really want to eat one. They're pretty. (laughs) They are pretty. I think you can buy them if you go to like organic organic sections will probably have them your farmer's market will probably have them because those are like the heirloom they call them heirloom varieties so i wonder if you took those if they lose their color like with um the colorful beans because there's like purple beans and white beans and the green beans but because it's just the skin that has the color yeah they all turn the same color after they cook yeah because the inside of the bean is the same color and the inside of the corn probably the same color yeah i've never really that's not really my my thing this year is try to find colorful corn (laughs) yeah where the the um starch i guess the inside of it is the same color and those ones have like purples and all sorts of things it's just so cool yeah you know i'm trying to (laughs) This is like, I haven't been in school for so long, but in, in my advanced plant breeding and genetics class, we did a little thing on color in corn. Um, and yeah, how awesome, like Barbara McClintock, because she was like the person that discovered jumping genes in corn. What's a jumping gene? Oh, Lord, I shouldn't have even said <laughs> They're um, a basic, basic rundown. Oh my gosh. If you get like comments and stuff, anyone watches. I'm very rusty. I didn't do any preparation for this. Uh, They're just genes that'll like sort of horizontally transfer themselves. So they have um, like codes on them that allow them to just kind of like move to different locations. And yeah. And for whatever reason, like corn is still viable, <laughs> even though it can do that. So uh, yeah, I have a last it's question before we end up uh, having to wrap. <laughs> We're at an hour, and I promise not to take you from work too long. I'm sorry. Uh, no, are... no, you're fine. I'm having fun. Okay. <laughs> and I'm I'm here like on my own terms, so like. Oh, okay. So it's not like official. Yeah. Doing no, okay. no, I, I yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't feel as bad. Um, with the soybeans, there do they have a problem? Are soybeans very temperature? Um, what's the word like? Yes, uh, they have heat. 
they have heat stress. With, okay, like they have to have like yes. type of temperature. So yes. is that something that is that something that you can work on breeding for them to yep. be able to be more heat tolerant? Because I know that's something we're going to obviously yes. for our future of the planet. Yes. We I, so my new my the lab I work in now is a heavy physiology lab, so that's it's it's different from breeding and so they right now they have several studies going on and one of them is heat stress so there actually is an experiment going on right now in growth chambers because that's where we can you know control the environment better right and one of them is set to almost 100 degrees fahrenheit Oh, I don't tolerate that. So when so I have to when I have to go in there, yeah, when I have to go in there and water, oh, no. like it's, it's hot, and I come out and I'm all red, and like even if I'm only in there for a few minutes because it's hot and humid in there. Yeah. So, um, like we're actually running dehumidifiers in our growth chambers right now. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, so if it's so humid in there, would you run into a problem of? Um, is it? What's the one that likes humid? Is it powdery mildew that likes humid humidity? Thankfully, because it's a controlled environment, we don't have okay. that problem. So if I were to, in like in another sort of like thing with our growth chambers, if you're in the field, you cannot go to the growth chamber afterwards. You have to go home, shower, change your clothes before you go back. You and even when you go yourself? in, right, right. Even when you go in, like you're supposed to wear a lab coat mm -hmm. just to make sure, yeah. Yeah. If I mess with the plants that I have here in the lab, like house plants that I'm growing here, like I, terrarium. if I discover like a pest, yeah, my terrarium, if I find a pest on them, like I can't go to the growth chamber. Like oh. I live like 35 minutes from work. So I have to ask someone else, Hey, so whenever I know I'm going to go into the, um, what we call the phytotron is what it's called here at NC state. Um, I try to avoid dealing with my plants. Um, if I know I'm going in there in the afternoon, in the morning, I go there very first. That's the first stop I make on my way into work. But yeah, we do heat stress there. Yeah. Heat stress, flood tolerance, drought tolerance. Yeah. Those are all, are all things that we study here and yeah. are looking. So the physiology side, they're looking more at the, um, the physiological aspect of it. Why? Um, is happening and they, it's much more different for me, like as breeding, we would go to the field and like, Oh, look, it's dry here. So we grow our drought tolerant or our drought studies in a like sandier soil because obvious reason sand doesn't hold water. Right. Um, and you know, it's easy to walk into that field on a day where it's, you know, hot and dry. And you can say, Oh, look at that line. That line is actually like has some turgor, you know, when plants are all limp, they don't have any turgor pressure. And so you see that plant is like happy and standing up straight where the others just look, oh, like it's they're all, all sad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they look like you're a peace lily when you forget to water it. Yeah. <laughs> like melted. That's they're not quite that bad, office. but yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah, or yellowing leaves. Yeah. And yellowing so when, when I go to a, a field, and they're doing physiology. I'm, you know, the, the breeding aspect of my job for the last decade or whatever has been, you know, like just look at the phenotypes and 
from replication and like section of field to section of field, you can see, you know, which line and you'll see it over and over again. Oh, look, it's that line again. And you walk, you know, four fields later. Oh, I bet that's that line again. And sure enough, <laughs> you go look in your book at your little map or whatever. And yeah, that's, that's the heat tolerant or the drought tolerant one. And then why is it drought tolerant? Yeah, <laughs> you know, so and then, then the ones that don't show that perkiness in them, do you just yank those plants and you end up growing more? So the fit that just keep it going. The, in the breeding side of things, yes. But in the physiology side of things, no. They still sample and they they just like they, they run a lot of data, a lot, a lot of data, like a lot. Um and then they even have uh, one of the uh, technicians here. She is the only one in our uh, research unit that knows how to use this drone. And so she flies a drone around to see, cool. yeah, and get data that way. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah. That's pretty yeah, quick this, way to go through and see everything. It is. It is. And I uh, need to freshen up on that. I, like I don't have a license to fly a drone. So Sorry. Oh, it's like big enough that you have to have a license for it. Because they have like yes, they don't. okay. Those are yeah, cool. and because of research, um, yeah. we have to do, and we're federal. We have to do everything by the book as oh. much as possible. <laughs> okay, so okay, so you're yeah, government, not private sector. Oh yeah, yeah, and that's another thing in breeding. I, think I meant to ask that, and I totally forgot. Yeah, I <laughs> and in research in general, public sector is very different from the private sector, and we all kind of in one way or another work together as an entire industry all with the same goal mm -hmm. um but at the usda the lines that we release are available to the public anybody can use the varieties we release or the lines whatever you want to call them we release for their own research or to implement them in their breeding program because our overall goal is to strengthen um you know the genetic background of soybean to increase yield and availability to so the more people that the can people. help the better it is yes yes and also we kind of do the we do the work that is the hard work that's not profitable for a like a big company like a seed company to do because oh, research sense. is research is expensive you yeah. don't get a lot of return and so people complain about patents and things well I mean, it takes money, yeah. a lot of money, but the work that we do um, is paid for by the people. And so our results are available to the people. Um, and yeah, and anyone can use that, including the seed company that can take their, you know, patented trait and plug it into our varieties because yeah, in the end, that saves them money, like, because they're not the ones doing all this. And they, you know, and they do help fund research. Seed companies do. Yeah. That's cool. Spend a lot of money on research because for them, research is not profitable. And I know, like, it kind of sounds bad, but you need, if it were up to companies, they're only going to do what's most profitable. Yeah, so absolutely. like our food system would probably collapse <laughs> because yeah. it's not in their interest. <laughs> no, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So there is a sort of balance between public sector and private sector. Um, and so I really, I don't have any hate towards um, the private sector 
to me, I feel more um, satisfaction being in the public sector because I feel like I'm, you know, doing good for the people. Yeah. Yeah. I, from an outside perspective, because I work for nothing, uh, private sector is the ooh and the ah, and the public sector is more like, hi, we're helping. Look, this is useful <laughs> for everybody. Yeah. 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 And yeah, in the public sector, we do have to do a lot with less. Mm -hmm. So yeah, <laughs> there's never enough money. And I mean, again, research is spending. to the bone and there's not enough there. Yeah. <laughs> there's never enough. The there's never enough. <laughs> what makes the world go round? We need to. Right. You think that food would be, uh, the people working in, in agriculture would be paid well. And that's not the case at all. And it's, and that's it's, really a problem across yeah. a lot of industry, STEM industry too, is that there's just not the proper amount of funding and work going into it that it should have and deserves to have. Right. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wish they would um, again, like celebrate scientists more, um, yeah. and there be more science, you know, advocates, more public figures. Like, why do we all have to look up to Neil deGrasse Tyson? You know, there's, there's plenty of other people who can talk good science. Um, and specifically about their field. And why I, is it always I a mean, physicist that is up there talking yeah, about everything? Yeah. It's always a damn physicist. No offense yeah. to a physicist. I spent years in physics. <laughs> but they are not like the golden child to explain every other sector of science. Like that, it's just, I don't understand. Yeah. That. I yeah, but I, I just, yeah, to me, like plant breeding in general, it's just a lot of common sense to me about it. Um, and there's a lot of overlap, just genetics in general, when you talk about, you know, monocultures and how a monoculture can put, you know, it'll put a disease or something like under high pressure or give it more sort of this, yeah, it's, I'm gonna try and take that back a little bit. <laughs> If, if it is susceptible to, you know, a disease, that disease can just have a field day and yeah. like just wipe it out. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's in, in plant breeding, that's another thing, job security. There's always just like how viruses and pests like work for humans. There's always going to be a new disease in a crop. Right. Like always, you know, these these are ever evolving systems and um organisms <laughs> but yeah so job security too is great for plant breeding because well i mean look at the environment itself you know the yeah. drought heat temperature oh, fluctuations like, like basic of life essentially isn't it everything came from uh, yeah, bacteria we're always here that's going to happen so you're always going to have some mm -hmm. bacteria or virus and it's always going to be something new evolving you know, yeah. And yeah. we're just trying to keep ahead of that curve, basically, in breeding, like, just trying to stay ahead of it. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a community that um, collaborates with each other very well, because, you know, like, there was the there still is like the stem rust issue over in the Middle East, I think, uh, with wheat. And we have researchers here that travel frequently to Pakistan and to um, other countries over there that are oh. wheat growing. And yeah, I think it was Northern Africa where they're having yeah, stem rust. Yeah. Anyway. In Africa yeah. Something. But, oh yeah. God, so we have, have researchers here. Oh. 
yeah in Raleigh that go you know super cool over there and help and are a part of and it's a actually a larger community than just USDA being over there um there's also I think summits and other big you know public funded organizations uh that are also helping with that and it's like yeah it's not country specific obviously like you're gonna have other countries that are going there and like yes. everybody's trying to figure this out together collectively yes the more because working on it, different viewpoints you're gonna diseases have don't have borders <laughs> yeah yeah man do yeah you know just like we saw with coronavirus you know same thing with like a, a fungus and that's why you have customs, you know, when you go to different countries, because especially, yeah, you right. don't want to bring in a, a disease unexpectedly. And, right. well, and there's yeah, some, it's, they don't, some countries don't let you transport certain types of food things too. Yeah. Some countries just have a complete ban Even on being counties. imported. There's counties here in Washington where you can't transport apples. I mean, this is apple state, but you can't transport certain apples because it's, um, Apple it puts the rest of yeah, the population at risk. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the USDA also has agencies that do that as well as state agencies. They yeah have their own programs and it's, yeah, food, our food system is really complex and, you know, I feel like it's easily top toppable to like, to take it down a notch if we just have drastic changes to the environment that can hit multiple types of plants, crops, whatever at once, it's going to cause a massive problem. Yeah. Yeah. So like, forget about supply chain. Yeah. Screw <laughs> right? the supply chain. If you don't have the supply. There's no chain to even talk about it. Right. Right. So having the food and the food production, that's yeah. And there, there's a whole, um, there are entire like university classes that are devoted to nothing but food production, like, and even a crop. Like, I believe there's a like a soybean production class that or a wheat production class. Or yeah, like, but there's got to be some universities that are offering specific things like that if it's in their specialty. Like, I'm sure there's probably some NC State. Apples this is a huge there. breeding program, and I'm sure Washington does too. Yeah, I mean every every I believe almost every state has a land grant university, and where there's a land grant university. There's agriculture. Uh, WSU has a whole agricultural. Um, There's your land I, grant university. Yeah, when I was looking at uh, colleges to go to for a second degree and what their environmental stuff was, WSU has a big uh, agricultural environmental degree. <laughs> yeah. It's cool. it's, yeah. It was smack in the middle of agriculture country too. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, yeah, those are really, really good resources. And those universities, they are part of your state's extension and cooperative research office. And those are great resources for anyone in this state, anyone and everyone, if whether you have like, um, yeah, for your garden, your house plants, your pantry, you know, shelf life of foods and stuff like they, yeah. Your extension office can answer all sorts of questions. So I had never heard of what an extension it's an amazing office resource was, and it's free. I never did. Yeah. Never it's a it. fantastic resource. So what? Yeah. So does the it extension one office that it's often overlooked? You call and ask them a question. They'd be able to like put you in contact with like the right people to answer the question. Is that what? 
it does? Usually, if they don't themselves know, they'll probably either send you to their website because a lot of like that's for me my first like search. My Google search will be um, okay. For example, fungus gnats, house plants, <laughs> extension. You know, I include extension or more specifically in CSU, mm-hmm. you know, the university or you can do whatever university and a page will come up that'll be for that specific problem. And that's actually where, how I learned more about fungus gnats because so many people had problems with them and I didn't really understand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it tells you all about it, how to prevent it it's right there. There are people you can contact, but I would say Google and look for your local extension office or your, your state's university. And even the other states, like some states have more funding and are able to do better (laughs) or have, you know, like Florida has an entire uh, page, I believe devoted to greenhouse production for plants for tropicals because yeah, because that's a big industry in Florida. Florida. Yeah. Yeah. They're about Mm -hmm. as tropical as, gonna be getting here right yeah and they'll have they have light requirement guides for different types of plants for greenhouse production yeah i mean it's yeah and pest guides and this year because last year and that's all from florida yeah from the university but i had a problem with outdoor plants because of the heat wave so this year i've decided i'm going to get my porch is wide enough and big enough that i can put a little greenhouse out there and so I could put all my plants in there. It's my own little experiment to see if I can try to keep down the pest issue with them. Because we had really bad um, spider mites because it was so dry. It was so dry. Yeah. So if I could put them in the greenhouse Careful. and keep a bucket of water. Okay, do tell. Uh, yeah. So the only thing with the greenhouse, just to think about closing them in, well, it has, like, stuff the can still get in. Spider mites are actually... And spider mites can enter through there and and then they can get stuck in there. Spider mites will fly. They they can float in the air and come in through window screens. Yeah, yeah, I did read that. But my thing is that if I put, if I can keep it in a, keep it in a contained space and put mm -hmm. like a big bucket of water in there to try to keep the humidity level up in there, because spider mites are less prone when the humidity is high. Yeah, they don't like high humidity. It kind of slows them down. That's my my master plan is to try to have some humidity in there. To create a human environment. And closing, yeah, a bucket of water and closing it in, that... Yeah. Give it a go. That's my plan. I've never tried that before. A porch screen, because it's right, it's a south-facing porch, so we get lots of sun. So I'm going to put a porch screen there too. So get the morning sun and then pull it down when it's in the heat of the day. And then it can have a little bit later when the sun's going down too. can try to control mm. that element of heating it as well. I'm experimenting this year. Try it. Yeah. Try it. A shade cloth even for like the heat yeah. of the day. Yeah. I love shade cloths. <laughs> I'm trying to figure this out. Trying to be a better, my goal this year is to be a better plant person. Instead of just being like, you're in a pot, grow. <laughs> oh, you just want to like be able to produce more food. Yes. I yeah. Do. So you're just, you know, farming in a pot. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> you got to troubleshoot. It, can, it works. I've been doing it. I just need to expand what I'm doing and be able to control it better and the elements better. 
Yeah. Like I'm trying to. Be I used to only grow peppers, and oh, I, I just peppers. I kind of stopped. Peppers can be fantastic, but when it gets too hot, they yeah. also stop producing. They my peppers ended up. They were, they were weird. So I had grew some green bell peppers, and they were little. Like yeah, tiny. The heat and I just Those... stunted them, and then the plant died. But I was growing. Um, oh, what are the little hot ones? Uh, Serranos, jalapenos. Oh yeah, I was growing jalapenos and sriracha peppers. At least it was labeled sriracha. I don't know what the actual thing is called, but yeah, both of those. But they were so weird. They didn't. They kept growing. And then when it got really hot, they stopped growing. And when it cooled down again, they started growing like crazy. But they didn't yep. actually grow and start to turn until it was fall. And I'm like, oh, no, the frost is here. And yeah. So what you like, oh need <laughs> to look at is, yeah, so in, in the heat, right, the, the, the highest the heat of the summer. Because for me, same thing with peppers. I'll start off great. And then when it gets really hot, July, they slow down. And they're just sort of like taking a little break because they got to focus, the plant has to focus on staying alive, right? Yeah. Rather than fruit production. Um, and what it does produce isn't very good. But when you look for varieties to grow, you should look at how many days it takes to harvest. Yeah. And I looked a little for your zone, like it shouldn't have taken, like they were way out of the range for it. Like I started them really early too. They just, because mm-hmm. we had, it was like all of like the last half of June through July, start of August, that it was just completely miserable. Too hot. So, yeah, too hot. Oh, yeah. Fruits. <laughs> They're not happy. They're not going to flower. And yeah. Yeah. No, it was. Yeah. If for, for something like that, you want to have them in like optimal conditions. And even, I mean, I'm in the South and yeah, I won't have peppers for like almost two months and then come fall, but my fall lasts a lot longer uh, than yours. So like I'll get a lot of peppers in November. Ours is short. Yeah. Ours is well, I would I would say it's short, but it's so all over the place here too. Like December first mm-hmm. of last year it was fifty degrees. It should not have yeah. been like that here. <laughs> we were in the eighties, like in late December. Oh, no, Christmas I think snow. was pretty warm. usually it's snowing by the middle of november but it's just so unpredictable and things are just expanding it's weird i don't know if you saw the the temperature charts that i was making i did and if you look at the last year there's so much more orange and red and dark red than the previous just yeah i don't know we can't control the weather, so the no, plant, yeah. We have to it's, make the plants uh, adaptable to it, and yeah. as it gets more and more unstable, it's, yeah, I don't know, there's, that's a thing. <laughs> it's a giant rabbit hole that's easy to go down, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, rabbit holes. Yeah, oh my plant God. breeding is, Yeah. There's- it's a very complex thing. You, yeah, our food system is very complex. A lot of people don't realize just how involved it is and how much work goes behind the food that is served yeah. at their table or it's sold at their stores. It's a lot yeah, of work. I was at, with um, your house, not houseplants, but uh, the horticulture, like your garden plants. Yeah. Those are often bred too. Mm-hmm. Right. 
when I was looking at like the important, well, I say important, <laughs> what people really, really love to indulge in, uh, wine, like wine country down in California is massively affected by the drought and the wildfires because then it soaks up that smoke affects the flavor of the grapes, which affects the flavor of your wine. So there's going to be whole years where the wine might so like just completely suck. It's going to suck. Yeah. They are saying, I don't drink year, wine, so I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> but I but, know. Yeah. The industry yeah, itself. Yeah. In trouble. And then, mm-hmm. um, I was reading about, uh, climate change and coffee beans and yep. they were, that's a problem. Uh, the scientists were working on teams and mapping out how different, conditions were going to affect the regions because most was it like 70 percent of coffee beans are arabic arabic or it's not arabic arabic i didn't think it was yeah it's like slightly different than that just ever so slightly but i just like just give me the coffee i'll give a shit but um yeah there's very specifically growing like they they are the majority of the market but they're also the most finicky with temperature changes so as mm-hmm. there's like whole regions that are no longer going to be able to produce and they take years for them to be able to grow right, to be viable, to actually take the beans from. So it's like, aren't they, are they shrubs or trees? I'm not like, again, that's another one of those where uh, it takes years. Yeah. It's like years and years, years that they to have, have a crop ahead. Yeah. So they have to look at all these scenarios. Olives. <laughs> olives. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Too. Yeah. That's. Yeah. So any food you get from a, a tree or a shrub, yeah, chocolate. They're um, you're gonna have a harder. Yeah, it's. Yeah. So that, really yeah. Have to plan way ahead with figuring out how plants are going to handle rising heat and how the climates mm-hmm. that they're already in, and that we they're stuck in these climates and how they're going to have to move to completely new regions in the world to be able to keep growing these things. Yeah. And (laughs) is that region, you know, have the infrastructure or, you know, it's there. Yeah. Cause I saw some of these, like they had different, like if it raised by one and a half C and then if the temperature, you know, the global temperature raised by two C and then three C and where they said, well, you, it's grown here. Like, it was grown in pockets of Africa. It can't grow there anymore. You have to grow it in Southeast Asia now. So do they have the and means that's only to if, grow it over there? And- yeah. Do they have the means? Do they actually have the soil? Like, the yeah. soil composition is very important. Yeah, <laughs> like, it has to be really a You can't just throw some seeds on a rock and yeah. expect <laughs> it to grow. It's not a pine. It doesn't grow anywhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Pines grow in a rock yeah. all the time. <laughs> And stuff like, you know, those trees and, and shrub crops is, yeah, I, uh, what orchard crops, I guess is what you would call them. You can't, it's not like you can just say, oh, this was a bad season. I'm going to plow, plow up the ground and, no. you know, go move them over here. The tree is there. Yeah. Is this, and it's, like it's a um, chunk of land. Is it? Yeah. You can't just yeah, so, move a whole orchard. Yeah. And the oranges, they've been having citrus oh, greening. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, those. And people get upset that those, they don't have uh, things in the grocery stores. I see it all the time. Maybe you should read why. Like, go Google why and try to understand it. And, well, yeah, yeah it's. I think something that needs to be 
pushed more to the public and talk about, not just, well, it was a bad... Yeah, we didn't have a great growth this year, so it's not in most of the grocery stores. Well, are it's you just, yeah, it's just sort of like passing news, like yeah. Good growth is it just going to keep happening, or is it just a one-off thing? Because it, most likely yeah. it's not going to be a one-off. They're going to keep having these problems if it's drought related yeah. or flooding. Like I know south east. Southeast of the United States, where they have flooding issues. Well, I guess it is hurricanes and yeah, they have all the flooding yeah, Mid Atlantic to the south. Yeah, we have hurricanes and um, we well, have the hundred year. Flood yeah, like North Carolina lost as well. With yeah, yeah. I forget which hurricane it was, but one of them we had like two, almost two billion dollars worth of agricultural losses in North Carolina. From floods. Wow. Mm -hmm. wow. And I, I see, like, for me, that's probably something you go, oh, well, all these homes were destroyed. And then you go, okay, what about the farmlands that yeah. people rely on this stuff for? It's yeah, probably, there's no homes, and then the oh, crop from that year is well, you would think same thing like, with livestock. Yeah, yeah. And livestock the livestock too. drowned too. You Obviously, these are things, but I don't think that people generally think of it. They just think of like the human lives, but they don't think of everything else that we rely on. Until it's people. not at the grocery store. And, yeah. Until <laughs> they don't realize there's a problem. Yeah. When they suddenly can't find, you know, their orange juice or their chicken or yeah. Oh, but it's supposed to be a big, is it, Ken is it Kentucky? Or I can't remember. Uh, I saw like a week or two ago. <laughs> Hiccups, I'm sorry, a week or two ago that they were having a massive um, avian flu issue and they had to slaughter mm. all the turkeys is it, or all the chickens. Yeah, to call them. No, yeah, call all of them. So there's no chickens coming out of here and there's going to be some issues because they supply the most chickens to the country. Yeah, I thought I saw that trending and I didn't want to know why because I yeah, had a feeling it was to deal with death and disease. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that's, you know, and that's also like a production, food production, or um, sorry, animal production. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> but that's, yeah. And when the way that they produce chickens, it's, yeah, they I don't know. live very long. So the infrastructure involved, like, can't be too expensive or too involved. And it, it's, uh, yeah. I know. <laughs> try, to buy, try to buy local, like. I get bags of frozen chicken just because it's easy. But if I want some, like if I'm at the grocery store and I have some very, something very specific planned out, I'll try to buy local. Because a lot of the grocery stores here, they supply um, heavily local farms. Like, that was nice. I, go I just look for the cheapest. <laughs> I usually do, but it's actually not that much more expensive than... Oh, really? Here yeah, it is. Like foster farms or something. I think just because there's so much of it here, like... I can go get some Angus steaks and it's really not, it's really reasonably priced and they're local. Yeah. I also <laughs> so try to limit how much meat I eat in general, but. We usually eat chicken, but once in a while, like maybe once a month. Cheap protein. Like, I love eggs. Yeah. I really Cheap protein. Eggs. My dogs love eggs too. So. My cats love eggs. Mm -hmm. Pretty good also. Everyone loves eggs. <laughs> I make eggs and my dogs are immediately there, like, me? Me? 
me? I'm like, yeah, okay, have a bite. <laughs> my one of my cats almost like broke her leg. She was so excited to like get to the eggs. She's like lunging. Oh my and, god. <laughs> my yeah, it's dangerous. <laughs> I need to take a video. I have bananas. These bananas, bananas usually write pretty fast, but I swear to God, these bananas are taking the sweetest time in the world to just ripen. And they weren't even that good. Maybe they picked with. too early. I, oh. they, weren't, they weren't, they were like half yellow and like a little bit of green at the top, but they're just taking the sweet time. But my dog, you've never seen a happier animal until you put a banana in front of my dog. And it's pitiful. Yeah. <laughs> it's so pitiful. So I'm, my goal is get those bananas ripen and I take a video of him. In his yes, I want to see it. <laughs> Banana and uh, pretzel buns. Really? Pretzel buns. Huh. I know, those two things. It's just like, oh, it's a whole different animal that I'm dealing with. And he's just <laughs> whimpering and doing all these things. And, oh, Aww. It's hilarious. Well, hopefully the banana crisis i forget what it is with bananas the fungus or something um or bacteria i think it was a fungus is it you know, hopefully that'll i have no idea Ho hopefully that'll i know there are breeders working on it because there are yeah, always I, breeders working on it to. but I, that's like yeah. definitely not something that's that i can just be like well let's just hope it doesn't happen you know <laughs> I know it's happening and it's it's <laughs> always like even even when you know we have new varieties released there's it's a what we call an arms race like literally like we actually call it an arms race because pathogens are always evolving yeah it's a perpetual issue and it's mm -hmm. just something that's behind the scenes that people don't see which again is a big fault I think that we have as society is not being transparent yeah this type of work that's going on or I don't know if it's transparency because honestly if someone were to show interest I'm sure almost all my bosses would be like yay like come and we'll show you what we're doing lack well, of interest but also front. like it's, it's not, not it's not like, a it's glamorous not in the it's not yeah it's, it's like it's not glamorous work it. yeah yeah, that's why I used to post a lot about like, oh, this is what I'm doing or today. I've gotten away from that, you know, COVID too, because like I was sitting at home yeah. a lot. And uh, when I did go in, yeah, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, but I think it's something, you know, I kind of, there's so much celebrity culture and like movies and all these like yeah. things that are just, you know, materialistic that are more important to people than you know, sustenance. <laughs> but yeah, I think there should be more attention brought to it. And very we need our own agriculture celebrities. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, did you ever see the movie Interstellar? Yes. Like the That's the weird that, one. The premise of right? that was, yeah. It's, well, it's all time travel for fifth dimensional, really. But the start of it, the premise is there's trippy. with, they have soy and wheat soy wins out wheat falls to the side but they have massive food production issues that basically destroys food production across the entire planet and everybody ends up everybody was growing wheat to try to keep up food production everybody grew soybeans to try to keep up food production because of whatever pest completely wiped everything out because of the changing climate in the planet like so they very hmm. like it was a very exaggeration but a slight nod to 
things have the potential to get really rough in this type of way in the future. Or water is, you know, the other hot commodity of the future that... Another reason why I want to live in the East only. (laughs) Yeah, like, we have... What was that? Uh, Dark water. It came out just a couple years ago, I think. But it's all about water rights and contamination and how um, you know it being privatized is screwing people over and that sort of thing or um Aaron Brockovich I know like oh yeah she's still out there I didn't realize like uh, I was watching that movie yeah years ago and I was like I wonder if she's on social media and I went and looked and oh went, she is still out yeah there, she's like, she has a presence like, hell yeah mm-hmm. she's still out there doing doing the damn thing like sweet this is like fantastic but have I heard yeah. her in the news? No. She does come up occasionally. I did hear her recently, but oh, I don't good. recall for what. Probably something about water yeah. and contamination. I know. Something. But yeah. Yeah. There needs to be more out. More awareness. More. Yeah. More just, awareness. I think people just need to talk about it. Yeah. If, if you don't talk about it, then who's going to even know about it? But. Yeah, I mean, everyone was it, like, aren't going to have any interest or know that they're even interested in it either. Like, yeah, and that's one reason until you happen to see that study. With- yeah, and that's another reason why the whole GMO thing was so frustrating because everyone was just so stuck on this like very specific aspect of plant breeding, genetic engineering, which is just one one little aspect that's not as widely used as people like to think it is and it was so demonized that it just kind of it's like the first question people ask me when I tell them what I do it's like oh do you gen- do you you know genetically modify crops and I'm like right it was a hot topic and they go oh CRISPR like CRISPR like I don't use any of them but like I attend seminars all the time where I'm listening to people like who use CRISPR for a variety of things. It does a lot more. I mean, it's a very useful tool. It's not the most efficient from what I understand, but yeah, I'm very much like your traditional, like that's breeding and that's just public sector mainly. And yeah, I I don't really do the fancy stuff. (laughs) I I hope that this, at least me trying to do this can help some people because i mean there's so many stem you know science podcasts out there is what they're specific to space or specific to health or whatever but i i really hope i've had some feedback from people thankfully that are saying they've learned some stuff from this like being able to encompass all of stem in this and not just like being a host and having somebody on here like i'm not gonna call up Try to get Neil deGrasse Tyson beating beating a dead horse with a stick. There's zero purpose. Kinda, yeah. People Aren't people are tired of seeing his... him? Yes. Completely tired of him talking. Sorry to all the yeah. people. But like, yeah. people that are behind the scenes like you that are actually doing the work and not just being a spokesman about it. Like, and to understand yeah. better. all Because there's so much different work going on and just, I don't know. I have, I have a thing. I just want normal people that are not like in some celebrity light to tell the world what they do and why it's important what they do. 
Yeah. Sort of the everyday, yeah, real people who do real work. And you can see, like, I'm, I'm at work, but I'm, yeah, in the office. Probably see, like, the lab stuff behind me. But shelves of things. Yeah, this lab is old and um, my PI inherited it. So it's got a lot of stuff. And we're getting ready to move in a few months to a new lab in a new building. Yes, very. So, yeah. But I hope, yeah. (laughs) No, not all that stuff is coming with us. Gosh. (laughs) Yeah, I actually like, we did this chemical amnesty thing at NC State recently, a couple weeks ago. And I, only got like 20 something bottles in there and I could have easily put more just to like get out of the lab and (laughs) but yeah it's yeah moving is going to be fun but it's also going to be there's a lot of drawers to go through and my predecessor was really good at finding like random things and keeping them and I'm over here like this box is like 20 years old and it's never been used do we even have like a pipette for these pipette tips like what is this laboratory (laughs) yeah and I'm very much against that because it's just not safe and and then I there's so many drawers I keep opening like granted they're labeled but not to me they're not very specific Mm -hmm. like and you still find drawers without a label that have things where like oh like that's a gold mine. <laughs> I found that. Allen wrenches the other day <laughs> that I really needed for this thing I was taking apart and they were hidden in this drawer that wasn't labeled. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's two drawers labeled tools. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, and moving process. Oh gosh. Yeah. A lot of times I go to the lab across the hall because they have they're much more organized and I know they have everything that I'll ever need. <laughs> nice. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Ah. But when we move, it'll be nice looking forward to that but yeah maybe 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 I helped help a little and I'm more than happy to come back and I think you absolutely did I mean I learned plenty I don't know shiznit about plant genetics other than like you obviously like the basics of you want to keep using the plant that obviously has a trait that you want but besides that like (laughs) that's and overly generalized yeah yeah then the plant breeder like you don't want to use that specific plant with that trait like solely because you're putting you know (laughs) evolution like pressure on Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so i'm sure this is very helpful i'm I'm turning so the podcast will be bi-monthly i guess this will be a mini update for anybody that's stuck through this long um (laughs) you can edit it right I mean, I know yeah, we're live, but you could probably go back yeah, and... I could. I mean, I added a little bit out in the beginning or maybe the end, like when I put it onto like Spotify or Google Podcasts or whatever and add a little this and that to it. But um, I would hate editing. I really don't do much. I'm like, here's a little music intro for like 10, 15 seconds or whatever just to start it. I mm-hmm. really am just like people just listen and do the thing if they want. Um, but doing it bi-weekly every second weekend and fourth weekend of the month and then in between that I have decided to do um, like climate news catch-up updates and what's going on that sort of thing I thought would be useful since it kind of ties into me doing my uh, climate change page that I talked about too so 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Try to try to do something because I mean I could talk about so freaking much with <laughs> climate change. So that's another rabbit hole. <laughs> it's an absolute rabbit hole. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what I do. <laughs> I just no. read a lot and at least still to get me to talk about it because most of the time I feel like I'm talking to a wall about it. Like I know there's like plenty of people that are interested in it, but. Yeah, I feel like I talk to a wall a lot, so it'll be my way of being able to talk about new things that are up and coming, or maybe like an episode here or there to dispel any current myths about it, you know, because that's a big thing. Oh, myths. But it's a huge thing. We live in a world full of... <laughs> oh, just, yeah. Yeah. For anyone that's listening to the podcast bit and not the visual bit, just making angry motions with my hand. <laughs> most of the time I just make believe. Oh my God, why are you like this, people? Yeah, it's not that. It's like it's not a hard thing to understand, and I just I I think I'm in a slight unique position having as heavy of a, um, a math and physics background that I do have because mm-hmm. it's largely yeah. math and physics applied when you really yeah I think it's math. easy easy for us who have background and like solid working in yeah. that area versus like people who haven't had the mm-hmm. you know background or experience or opportunity to yeah learn what we've learned it's yeah yeah I was going to attend a school then decided not to um talking to the counselor for the environmental science program and she's like oh you've taken lots and lots of math and physics uh yeah like three and a half years of each (laughs) really (laughs) and she's like the people that are in environmental science like they have to take like the intro like intro physics one two three and calc one two or whatever but they don't go beyond that and there's really so much more complicated about environmental science that relies on those things too i said like knowing having a stronger background and those will help you understand more about it and i have my own like i'm not school but i have all these environmental science textbooks that i go through and like hydrogeology textbooks and like it's super incredibly applicable to have a fundamental understanding of those background topics to be able to explain these other topics too it's i don't know yeah it's interesting how much different sciences rely on other sciences it's a thing oh yeah <laughs> yeah it's a thing so. and like we like we like to say in plant breeding it's an art and a science <laughs> yeah absolutely and that's a thing yeah. in stem these days right too the steam not stem the art whatever <laughs> i'm still trying to understand the a part of it but that's the thing is the a for art yeah it's for art okay i mean i definitely see how it's related but like that's maybe bias on my part because i mean i did was more heavily into arts at one point but right right yeah i'm i also scored really high in the sciences um while i was in school so i i don't know i know for some people they're related yeah the like state uh, yeah i don't I don't know, I, but, I, know, I do artsy fartsy things, but I'm still like still reading and trying to understand. Like obviously there's links. Like there's links between mathematics and music too. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm still learning about the A going to be in STEM, and people don't like STEM anymore. They want it to be STEAM. So uh, I'll figure that out. Whatever. Just like, yeah, sciences. Arts and thing. sciences. <laughs> you can't just say sciences or arts and sciences. I just, I don't know. Yeah. Science and, science and arts. Although A before S, but whatever sounds better, I don't know. There's a thing. But I've been rambling. We, I've taken you <laughs> for almost two hours now. Almost two hours, <laughs> Tiffany. Okay, I've had fun <laughs> talking to you. And my, I know that I'm just boiling water right now. So. Are you still boiling that 300 Celsius water? What? <laughs> well, I'm trying to get it to 100 Celsius. But I'm, I've uh, been sort of uh, rigging up a, a beaker to hopefully not lose or evaporate too much water while I'm yeah so it takes a while like yesterday it was going all day for what nine hours so (laughs) yeah I just well I work on other things too I'm just something I don't have to watch I just let it go and see okay how much how much water is evaporated where where are you at so that when I do run this assay I'm running I can you know hopefully have a good idea of because when I add water to it, it changes the temperature of the water and right. I have things that need to boil for 30 minutes. And yeah. Right. So I'm just working, working out some, some tweaks and things. And hey, it's been a while since I've been working in a lab. But it's- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, <laughs> I mean, I'm totally game to, you know, do this and everything more and, on or off whatever but it's I just I love being able to talk to people in different fields that I don't know anything about which is a lot of yeah people, obviously <laughs> yeah Clearly. I mean there's a shit ton I don't know I mean good grief I think you know it's, life is you know we're ever evolving in our everyday lives and there's always something new to learn and absolutely I just yeah you never really stop the verse. So it's, you know, we're so specialized these days. Um, it's good to be curious and forever yeah. curious, forever curious. There I, lies I my need, problem in life. <laughs> I have a very wrinkly brain. Wrinkly? You know, <laughs> well, you know how they say like, <laughs> what? <laughs> when you learn something new, you get a new wrinkle like in your brain. I've never have you ever heard that. that? No. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, like <laughs> how I grew up. But yeah, I always heard like when you learn something new, you get a new wrinkle in your brain. Oh <laughs> so I have a God. very wrinkly brain. Just neurons are just riding wrinkly. the waves in your brain. <laughs> That's awesome. I can be very random if you haven't noticed. Is your brain wrinkly enough? My brain's extra, extra wrinkly. Oh my gosh! I, I try to learn something brain. new. So Make one for me or a cup, a coffee mug. Oh yeah, I will totally do this. Totally gonna do this. I have a very wrinkly brain. It's uh, it's a good thing. <laughs> I'm doing it. This is gonna be great. Okay, I'm gonna make a mug. Is that is that it. not a saying? Am I getting it wrong? I, I mean. I would like I am like pretty to this podcast to weigh in if they have ever heard that saying. We would, we would greatly appreciate it. I am pretty spacey and I get things easily confused, especially sayings. They get 
mumbled in my head that's always a mumble or jumble of things and going on so, many so random saints from you know different regions different yeah regions cultures age gaps or whatever i mean i probably i repeat a lot of old sayings from my grandparents and people look at me like what oh, <laughs> oh that's so nice <laughs> sorry i'll end the stream for everybody to i should have some outro thing saying Thank you, Tiffany, for coming on again. And you're going to come on again because I love hanging out with you and chatting on here. It's fantastic, and I have fun. And I learn shit. Yeah. I learn yeah, shit. I like, and I learn shit, too, from you. Yay. And it helps to kind of refresh my, my memory. Yeah, I've sure. been out of school for not 10 years, but it's, yeah, long enough. Yeah, helps you jar it up in there a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. I hope everybody enjoyed this. And... Um, <laughs> And I have lots of links on, because everybody who will check in on YouTube, I have lots of links on there to Spotify, Google Music. Um, I had fun making the Streamlab stuff, which has like stickers and fun little shit like that. So that's a thing too. To buy? Yeah. You have merch? I have merch now. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess I'll have to I check it out. I'm so bad. I have merch now. And I'm just like, I'm constantly just like playing around with new designs on new products and everything. So it's a thing. There's a beanie on there and I'm going to order the beanie at some point. <laughs> Yay. Okay. Well, I'll check it out. Yeah. Oh, so that's a thing. If you want to hang out for a quick second, but I will say everybody, thank you for watching or listening. Thank you for listening until two weeks from now. <laughs>